There's so much beauty and joy and freedom in finding that devotional life. The devil works hard to make sure that we are not fully authentic friends, so it takes work, it takes sweat. If you're just going to sit there and sob about the circumstances that you're in, nothing's going to change. The practice of our faith is a daily thing. The natural order of relationships are towards chaos, disrespect. But Christ absorbs it and returns that with love. When we face suffering, we want to like, we want to fight. We want to just lash out at the world because we're in so much pain. Your life is not your own to do with what you please. It was bought and paid for by Jesus on the cross. You actually do not have the right to do whatever you want to do. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a mess. (laughs) Welcome back to the Armor of Light podcast. My name is Brady and joined as always by James and Jared. And we're here joined by our special guest, Grace, to talk about theology of the body, what it is, Uh, what's the history behind it, and how we can integrate it into our own lives, and what we can learn from it about masculinity and femininity and the the unique desire that God has placed on our heart to long to be fulfilled and loved and held um, as human beings, as his children. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it. Uh, Sure. It's not been calculated, but that's just how many he can do. So like if, you could chuck, if you could chuck one wood chuck, how much wood would that be chucking? Whoa, if a wood no, chuck he's not chucking chuck wood chuck. He's just eating his buddies. Now. <laughs> <laughs> 70 times 7. <laughs> 70 times 7. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So is that the answer? 45? I'll write it down. Because I've been Who wondering. Who came about, up with that? I was wondering about that what, question 45? for a while. 45? I mean, it's just logical. <laughs> Every woodchuck I've seen can go through at least 45. I actually saw a raccoon out the window earlier. Oh, Running around Freddy Cord. Yeah. I don't know if he was rabbit or what he was doing. But rab- Wait, today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah oh during the day. During the day. Oh, shoot. That's not yeah. good. He definitely nope. rabbit. Good for him. <laughs> I don't think that is good for him. Well. Or any of us. Or, yeah, matter, yeah, that's but. true. Is it for... The good of rabbit flourishing? Not rabbits. No. Or was it squirrel? Rabies. Raccoon. Oh, raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) I misheard. A rabid raccoon. A rabid raccoon, yes. Enunciate. They're always in the dumpster, though. The dumpster that's in between our two buildings. Yeah, they'd be rolling rolling around. Yeah. They see me rolling. They They furried. Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> that's something else. Oh, okay. What about the next question, though? Why is almond I can't milk get into it. an abomination? Oh, well, to all that is good and true about creation. Isn't that kind of self-explanatory? It's not real milk. It's pretending. It's nut it's, juice. Yes. Let's be real here. An almond's a nut, and oh. you drink it. It's juice, nut juice. Nut juice. I'm sorry, but that's. It's that's just what the it way is. it is. It's not milk. Okay, but is milk? Cow juice? No, no, no. no. How, how do we define? <laughs> please, hold all right. on. We've got Miss Dairy Science. <laughs> yeah, please give me a definition a... of milk. Um, this has kept me up for the past two years. Mm. Definitely comes from a warm-blooded animal, particularly okay. a mammal. I think. Okay. Um, no nuts are involved. 
<laughs> well, well. <laughs> um, I think the problem, though, comes more from people using like the term milk to describe something that's not milk. So they're using all of like the the marketing um, that we've put out there for all of the reasons why milk is good to label something as milk, but almonds do not have the same nutritional values that milk does. Interesting. Okay. Um, the commercials don't okay. say got almond. You know, like <laughs> or got juice. Got, got, got nut juice. juice. Got nut juice. I mean, I guess that wouldn't be great marketing either. Like Yeah, you want to stay away from Wanna buy some almond nut juice? No one wants that. Doesn't sound very what, appealing. what would you call no. it though? Silk nut juice. Silk nut almond juice. Water? So what, how much almond, almond is water. actually involved in the liquid? Like, is it crushed up almonds in it, or is I, it? Like, I honestly have no idea. Do I don't they know. Put how almonds you on treadmill and take the sweat off. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. I, like, or do they? What I'm thinking is they soak like tea. They soak water or soak the almonds in water. I think that's close. And then you just kind of and then they color it white. Yeah. Probably. So do you think the coloring is artificial? Bro. Bro. Everything. How does an almond make? Pure, like w- dense white homogeneous liquid. It's not like, know. like super solid white. It's white enough, but like like I usually use it in smoothies. Like I confess, but I don't yeah. even think the problem is so much like drinking almond milk or coconut milk or something. It's just the fact that it's labeled as milk. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. really the heart of it. Because like milk has all of the essential amino acids that you need in it for a day, but almond juice does not. <laughs> um. It's catching on. Yeah. <laughs> I might take it a step further and say there is something wrong with drinking almond milk. If you're drinking something that is almond lying milk? to you. Interesting. Like mm-hmm. skim milk. Like skim milk. That that's water, water that's lying about being milk. Right. Oh, that's a Ron Swanson quote. Exactly. <laughs> I can't, the very I can't least, not credit him. At the very least, it's a venial sin. Right. Oh, jeez. At the bare minimum. But if you knowingly drink <laughs> it, then what? <laughs> I don't know why we brought the, the dairy science major to, to talk about almond well, we were, milk. We were talking last That's night fake. in a small group. The, it takes three gallons of milk. To yeah. grow an almond? It's like three or four gallons of water per <laughs> almond. Yeah, three gallons of water. In During like production and farming of almonds. That's a lot of water. It is. What are, you, what are they doing with it? Packing it into an almond. <laughs> <laughs> My first thought was like cranberries where you have like an ocean. Oh, right. Not an ocean. but ocean like spray. Your, your, your yeah. Or rice. You have a whole valley that's just filled with water and then they're just in there. But almonds are growing bushes, right? I have I no idea. I thought they grew underground. Hmm. I thought they were a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> we know for sure they're not a warm-blooded animal, though. You can't That's for sure. That. <laughs> Darn AKA true. not milk. <laughs> but is there a movement in the dairy science field to fight this almond milk movement? There is, actually, um, to get the regulations changed on what can or cannot be labeled as milk okay. so that... Um, there's not misconceptions or misinformation about something that's not milk. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting fact for you that like the warm glass of milk before you go to bed, that was always the thing in our mm-hmm. parents' day. Yuck. Maybe a cold glass of milk, not warm. But anyway, um, there's something to that because tri- uh, milk and yogurt are high in tryptophan, which is an amino acid 
that your body then breaks down to make serotonin and melatonin. So it actually helps you sleep. Hmm. So should we not be drinking milk in the morning? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Make you happy and sleepy. (laughs) I'm always happy and sleepy. (laughs) Constant stream of milk. (laughs) (laughs) And almonds do not do that. So. No. They're just. I'm sold. Fake. They're just nuts. And they come from trees. Trees? Did yeah, trees. they come from trees that up? grow in Morocco, Spain, and Greece. And California. Or like ori- originated Maybe. from there. I don't I know. It just said like they okay. flourish there. Okay. Flourish. In Israel. <laughs> I wonder what they look like growing on a tree. Did you know a uh, cashew comes from an apple? I still don't believe that. I, don't I, I didn't believe it until Shema showed me a picture. Really? I don't yeah. think that's true. One Look apple per one almond per apple. One almond per apple. That's gnarly. And it comes out the bottom. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just you does just not said look cashew, right. Cashew, not almond, right? What? Cashew. Yeah, cashew. Yeah, cashew. Yeah. What? Look up a cashew apple. You'll see a little cashew coming out of the bottom of the apple. They're not nuts. Like, or they are not. Are they nuts? And they're nuts. But they're not nuts like other nuts. <laughs> Do we need to define nuts? <laughs> One nut, two nuts. Oh my nut. gosh. It looks like Red it's pooping out the, exactly. the cashew. That's horrible. And who thought to eat that? I figured they were just on a bush. <laughs> I dare you to try <laughs> it, bro. <laughs> triple dog dare you. Fine. <laughs> so now that we have nuts and milk settled. What's today's topic? The theology oh, of the shoot. body. <laughs> So full disclosure, um, we're chumps and don't know how to run a podcast, I guess. So <laughs> we we were we recorded some with Grace already, and we're gonna try to not recreate it, but like cover the same topics. So if this, we're gonna cut what we do have with what we're gonna have, and so if it's a little chappy, uh, forgive us. Hold on, let's I, let her introduce herself a little that's bit. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> very true. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Um, so my name is Grace, um, and I grew up integrating theology of the body and milk from cows, because um, wow. they're my two biggest passions, uh, dairy science, <laughs> dairy science and John Paul II's theology of the body, and they're very interconnected. So these are the teachings of JP2 in, it's not like a book, right? It's, so I mean, it is, it is a book, but mm-hmm. it's, it was wasn't it speeches first? It was, it was. So it was a series of, I think, 129 talks mm. that John Paul II gave in St. Peter's Square um, on the theology of the body, is what it was, the title became known as. Um, and then it was collected into a book that is published, um, I'm not sure how many languages, but in English. The title of the book is Man and Woman, He Created Them. So is this, I know he also has a book called Love and Responsibility. Is that connected in any way to theology of the body? Love and Responsibility or? was written before he was Pope. Um, okay. So when he was still Carol of Wojtyla. Um, but yeah, it's very similar. A lot of the same concepts carry over. Um, I would say Love and Responsibility is more philosophy-based, mm-hmm. um, whereas Theology of the Body is more theology. Okay. Like you look at the very phrase, Theology of the Body, and it means, theology means study of God. 
So we're studying God in and through the human body. Yeah, I've, I've, I haven't read whatever or, uh, man and woman he created them, mm-hmm. but I have read most of Love and Responsibility, and that is dense. Like, JP2 was a philosopher, among many other great things, but he was big brain. And so I read like two pages and need to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah you, need a, you need a catechism and a Bible and a dictionary yeah, on hand. You. Yeah. And he goes through a lot of the natural parts. Like, so it goes through the psychological, the spiritual, and the physical kind of dimensions of what he calls the sexual urge, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure is more, I guess, approachable through the theology of the body. Mm-hmm. That's why he did it as a talk to the public instead mm-hmm. of, a philosophical breakdown in a book somewhere, you know? What was St. John Paul II responding to when he came out with these talks? And, Mm -hmm. like, what was going on in the time? And, like, how did this just, like, get in and was, like, accepted and stuff like that? Um, Definitely uh, was right around that time when the, the pill was first being really widely spreadly used um and (laughs) um people were turning sex into um just something that they did with anybody it didn't really mean anything anymore um yeah would you say that the culture at the time was idolizing sex in itself because it seems like theology of the body upholds sex as something that is incredibly sacred but it's not the end. Like mm-hmm. it's not. It's not God itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So John Paul II has a quote, and he says, "The body, in fact, and only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine." And so when we we go to the the account of creation, we see that God creates man, and then from Adam's rib, He creates woman. And he creates them in his image and likeness. And what does that mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Um, When we look at a man's body, it it doesn't make sense by itself. And when you look at a woman's body, it doesn't make sense by itself. It's only when we're seen in light of the other that we truly understand our own bodies. And so it's this call stamped right into the very creation of who we are for holy communion. And it's thus a sign um, of the, the spiritual reality that God is a communion of persons, that he is a trinity. What was your question again? <laughs> um, just the context of John Paul II's theology of the body. I oh. think the culture at that time, and even today, we uphold sex as, mm-hmm. as a god. Right. Right. Um, that from the theology of the body standpoint that we see sex as this call to holy communion and it is the closest thing that we will ever have to understanding the infinite oasis of god's love for us Uh, so it's meant to be a sign or a sacrament a lowercase s that points us to the heaven heavenly reality of the intimacy that God wants with us. What our culture has done is it's taken those desires for love and for pleasure, and it's turned sex into the idol that is worshipped to the extent that we even we even sacrifice our own children on the altar of pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, no, speak more into to that, I guess. Like, you see all around in, <clears throat> like, our world, 
um, everyone uses that natural desire for, uh, you know, especially geared at guys, like they use that natural desire for the beauty of a woman and they use it to sell whatever crap they want to sell you. Like, um, drink this beer and you'll get the hot girls, um, wear this cologne, you'll get the hot girls, drive this car, you'll get the hot girls. And it comes to a point where I think you were mentioning before about like where a guy either has to indulge or like completely hold himself off. And it, it turns like good guys into like either you have to, you have to choose one or the other and you can't really like, we're not taught to be able to, to admire the beauty the way that it's supposed to be mm-hmm. because it's all in the wrong context that we see it. So like, what, what do you say on that and like how, um, yeah, it, it turns into like the guy, every guy wants to have that like pleasure and stuff like that. And it becomes too like a God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a God. Um, Eros, um, is the, it's one of the Greek words for love and it's ultimately meant to be that sexual love or that that pining for the sexual um, communion of persons and our culture has definitely distorted it to where we can't even really say that word and truly understand what it means anymore but eros was it's the the longing that each one of us experiences to be seen and to be known and to be loved and um, i think for all of us that that desire um expresses or it shows itself in different ways and um, when we experience that desire we can do three different things with it ultimately we can just become a stoic a puritanical stoic and we can shove it down and try to ignore it or to proclaim the body and sex and all of that is bad and to deem these desires evil or we can become like our culture today where pleasure becomes our god and we are an addict to things that make us feel good or we can be um, what the church would define as a mystic where we learn to open up those desires to god the father so ultimately what our culture has done is it's taking this good and holy thing and it has turned it into the god it's no longer the icon that points us into the the goodness of God and into the goodness of his love for us. Um, but it's become not the means, but it's become the end. Yeah, it, it seems to me that we are so fallen, our, our culture is so fallen that as Christians, yes, we see that the culture is bad. The over-sexualization is bad. So we come to the conclusion sex is bad. Mm-hmm. So we've gone all the way to the other side, what you've called the stoic. Mm-hmm. Because we have a a distorted relationship with sex. Mm-hmm. So how do you think we move back to the middle, to that mystic um, that mystic stage? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it first of all starts by acknowledging the desires when they're present and then trying to find the root of where they're coming from and what they're leading us to. So there's a book by John Paul II called God is Beauty, And in this book, he talks about how he spent hours wandering around, I think it was Roman or Greek something, bathhouses, and he was looking at all of these statues they had of the naked human body, kind of wondering what the heck, in maybe more saintly language, (laughs) um, 
but he was looking at them all and trying to figure out what, what were people thinking when they created all of these statues? Why were they so fixated on manifesting perfect beauty in the human body? And he said that he realized after hours um, that all of these artists, what they were doing is they were longing for perfect beauty manifested in the human body. And in doing so, they were longing for the incarnation because perfect beauty has been manifested in the human body. So I think it really just begins with acknowledging the fact that our desires are good, our desires for love, um, even for uh, the sexual embrace, that those desires are good. The Bible is all about um, love and about this, this spousal analogy. It begins with the, the marriage of God with mankind in the, in the Garden of Eden, the marriage of Adam and Eve. And smack dab in the middle of the Bible, we have the Song of Songs, which is the most beautiful book ever written. And it tells this, this wild story of a romantic, passionate love between a man and a woman. And ultimately, it's meant to, to point us to the love that God has for each one of us exclusively and individually. And then we end the Bible with the marriage of the Lamb, where God does actually marry us um, in those, those words. So, Brady, you had a very good question earlier about um, those that have uh, consecrated themselves to celibacy. Yeah, they like, still fulfill that. Yeah, like as we, as we've been talking about this desire to uh, commune man and woman is so innate to us and so uh, fulfilling, and it's like as you said earlier, like the, it's the pinnacle or it's mm-hmm. it's the closest we can get on earth to see and know God's love for us is through the other person. So, what can we say about priests or religious or those who are currently or will be single? Um, either before they get married or just, you know, for the rest of their life, how do they enter into this same fulfillment without marriage, without that sexual union? Mm-hmm. So I think I, I prefaced this earlier and will again by saying, <laughs> by saying that our ultimate fulfillment is not found in a vocation and will never be found in another human being. That if you asked any married couple that there are moments in their marriage where one spouse is lying in bed and the other one's lying next to them, you know, with their back probably turned towards them snoring. And this poor spouse is staring at the ceiling with those same, very same desires that they experienced as a single person. I think it's ultimately coming to realize that um, God alone is the fulfillment for the deepest longings of the human heart. Um, in the Song of Songs, there's a beautiful quote that says, You have lavished my heart my sister, my bride, with one glance of your eyes. When I read that for the very first time, what came to mind was all of those movies where you have a a couple in the room and they are maybe like on opposite ends of the room and they make eye contact. It's just this moment where they play some like really romantic music in the movie and kind of everything else is blurred away and all you see is the gaze of those two persons And it stirs something within the hearts of us as humans because each one of us longs for someone to look upon us and to declare us breathtakingly beautiful. That we all experience that longing 
um, whether it's the longing to behold the beauty of another human person or the longing to be held by another human person. Um, I'll just share a little story about this um, in my own life. Uh, this coming to recognize that the God of the universe desires this kind of love with you and that he wants to fulfill that desire of your heart regardless of your vocation status. Um, I grew up on a small farm in northern Iowa and just had a wonderful childhood where I got to experience the beauty and the goodness of creation all around me. It's springtime right now, and so my memory goes back to all the baby calves being born and the sound of the mom lowing to the, to the baby calf. Um, we have this flower garden. I keep texting my sister also to see if these flowers are up. All week I've been bothering her about it. But um, there's this flower garden underneath our kitchen window, and every year these flowers called Lily of the Valley pop up and they are my favorite flowers ever so if you're ever on my bad side and want to get back on my good side <laughs> this is the bouquet that you should bring me um but they look like little tiny upside down white bells and their scent is so potent it's so strong and it's so beautiful it's what i imagine um, mother mary must smell like or like the scent of heaven so when i was younger i used to pick these flowers during the springtime and I would stick them in my hair so that when I moved, kind of twirled a little bit, I would catch their scent. And I just loved doing that because then I could smell them all day long. There was one day when I was sitting here back at college and experiencing what every human heart experiences, that, that loneliness, the pain of longing for a spouse or just longing um, to be loved. And I sat down um, at my desk and I opened up my Bible and I was reading through the Song of Songs and there was a line in there that said, I am the lily of the valley. And I read that and it was sort of a, a giggle laugh um, and <laughs> tears at that moment because this was the Lord speaking to me. He was showing to me how much he loves me that to him, I am a lily of the valley. He is so in love with my scent um, that this, this God of the universe is so passionately in love with every single one of us, with everything about us, with our hair, our nose, our toes, our belly button, our lips, every part of it, that he has literally devised a way in which he can become one with us in and through the Eucharist, that the God of the universe is so in love with the scent of my hair that he buries himself in it. And so it doesn't matter um, what vocation you're in, that like this is, the, this is how God desires to fulfill the longings of each one of our hearts, whether you're a priest or a single person. But then I would say that priests and consecrated virgins and religious sisters, that they're not giving up um, marriage. They're not giving up the sexual embrace because it's bad or it's dirty or it's something we shouldn't do. They're giving it up because it is the closest, closest icon that we have to encountering the deep, infinite love that God has for us. And in doing so, they're, they're teaching each one of us that our fulfillment doesn't come through our spouse, 
that God alone fulfills and that he can fulfill. There are so many things that we, so many ways that the Lord wants to do this in our lives and our hearts. And so often we turn these icons that are meant to point us to to him and to his goodness and to his beauty, and we turn them into idols where we no longer worship God himself, but um, we worship the icon and it thus becomes an idol. And so we have to be careful not to do that also with the spousal relationship. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I, um, I actually can think of something to, to say to that. I wasn't completely just awestruck like the first time. Um, so you talk about how Christ takes, he, he uses the Eucharist as a way to mm-hmm. absorb himself into us. Um, and I think we all kind of like, we're like, oh, by that. So we're both all taken aback by that. A, a lot of the way that, you know, the, the world shames us for, for the way we look or um, makes us feel like we're not like worthy of that. But mm-hmm. like you said, Christ gives us, he, he wants to absorb himself into us. He mm-hmm. sees us as a lily of the valley. Um, like, how can we take that message and be able to, to restore the dignity that we have in our in our bodies and ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful question, um, and I think it really just begins with going to prayer and remaining open to that love of of God. There's a book um, that was written in response to the the feminist movement, um, and I can't remember the author's name now, but this woman talks about how. Woman is the archetype of humanity because it is through women that we see um, our call to be receptive to the love of God the Father. That it's it's like stamped right into the very creation of the woman's body that she is created to be receptive to love. And so it's from women Um, that men can learn what it means to be receptive. Like we call God Father. We call him the title of Father, even though he doesn't have a gender because um, man or Father, it means to generate life outside of oneself. And we refer to us as humanity as the bride because we receive this love that God um, so lavishly pours out upon us. I think it's it's ultimately from Mary that we learn this what it really truly means to be receptive to this love of God because she shows us um, just how beautiful that is and what that looks like and that ultimately each one of our calls is to give um, Christ his body you know that that the Holy Spirit was the one who impregnated her but it was Mary that gave Jesus his hands and his feet that's that's ultimately the call of each one of us I think sometimes what, what blocks us from receiving this love is, is usually some sort of painful memories that we have associated with times when we didn't receive that love. Um, I don't know. Do you want a story about that too? Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I spent a year uh, living with a narcissist. Um, I took a gap year between high school and college, and I worked full-time on a dairy farm. And I kind of knew going in like this woman was like it was going to be rough goings because she was hard to get along with. But I was not prepared for the depth of 
um, what I now would call verbal abuse that I experienced while I was there. And I remember moving out, realizing there was a lot of healing that needed to be done in my life and in my heart, that there was a lot of painful memories that had in many ways made me believe the lies of from the very pits of hell that I am not good and that I am not lovable. And there was one memory in particular that used to cause me a lot of anxiety. It um, sort of haunted me and brought up a lot of feelings of just not feeling good, not feeling loved, the the sadness, the um, the shame, like all of it. I remember sitting um, in my rocking chair one night where all good things happen in a rocking chair, and <laughs> I this memory came to mind when I was in prayer, and I wanted to just shove it down again. That that stoic attitude of I don't want to feel this feeling, and I could kind of feel the Holy Spirit inviting me in that place to really just examine this memory. And so I did. I invited the Holy Spirit there, and it's painful. Like it's painful to sit there with that. It's here's theology of the body again. It's like a wound, right, that we have, and the Lord wants to. He wants to to heal it, but it hurts. You know that hydrogen peroxide on that cut when you're a kid and you fall off your bike. That doesn't feel good. Um, but I, I sat there, and I allowed the memory to come into my mind, and I allowed it to come with all of those feelings. Um, the shame, the bitterness, the anxiety, all of it. Um, and I just dwelt there in it, in that mess. And in that moment, in that memory, Mama Mary came. And she came with all of her love. Um, she came with that that motherly love that, that nothing else can compare to. And she just took me in her arms and she delighted in me. She sang to me, and I cannot go back to that memory and resurrect those old feelings, that all that's there now is just the truth that I am loved and that I am delighted in by God the Father. I don't know, like I'm not saying that you should go sit in your rocking chair tonight and um, expect the Lord to like heal the memories that you have like that, but definitely like opening them up to him. No, I think that's a that's a super hopeful message because I know, at least myself included, I used to like get angry at the Lord for giving me these desires because they've caused so much pain. Mm-hmm. They've caused mm-hmm. I've would get angry at him like it would be so much easier to love you if you didn't give me those desires. But I think that is because I put a limit on God's grace. Mm-hmm. I was not willing to lay these things at his feet and let him actually heal me because I was too too angry at him for giving me those desires in the first place. But hearing that story, that, that's such a hopeful message. Mm-hmm. So I hope more people are willing to open themselves up in prayer in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something that I've been praying on a little bit is like, um, again, what you said with like the wounds of, of the past, like why do you give me these desires if they're just going to cause me pain like that? Um, it became to a point where like, like I was being very stoic and like anytime I would see like the beauty of a woman, like I'd suppress it and like Mm -hmm. subconsciously that became like a bad thing. And, um, in prayer was able to just like let the Lord in on that, not even really realizing that it was a problem that that was happening, but then like allowing the Lord to like show me 
like this is a, the beauty of a woman like mm-hmm. you know I gave this to you to be able to love and appreciate and it's not something to be thrown away it's not something to be abused right. but it's something to be like able to and like I want to show you what it means to truly embrace a woman like in in, in the best way mm-hmm. the way that we are called to as men and I can't do that if you keep shoving it to the side right so, and I just think that, yeah, that, that, again, just like being able to, to open up yourself to those wounds a little bit just allows that, allows the Lord to show you a new way that you wouldn't have imagined to go about that and heal from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this common story I heard a priest, t- a priest tell one time. Um, we were talking about like having a correct um, relationship with the idea of uh, physical beauty. And he tells a story of there are two guys walking down the street and this, uh, this woman comes walking towards them dressed very immodestly. And one of the guys uh, shields his eyes because he can't, he can't look at her. Mm-hmm. The other guy uh, looks at her and starts crying. And the guy that shielded his eyes said, dude, why, why'd you look at her? Like she was, she's probably causing you to sin. And he said, no, I looked at her because I saw, I saw the beauty of who she was and the gift she had been given and it brought me to tears that she didn't see herself that way and the guy that shielded his eyes was not able to see her that way because he could only see her as an object too Mm -hmm. so out of fear or out of i wouldn't even say out of fear out of protection for himself he shielded his eyes but that's not a correct relationship with purity Mm -hmm. i don't think that's what came up in prayer the other day was like if you're averting your eyes, it's just as much object. You're, you're objectifying it just as much as um, if you were to indulge yourself. Like, it's not good for you to to suppress those those feelings. It's like you said. That's where we invite Christ into our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, if you like, can like say a prayer and just offer that up. Or if you have time, just like sit and, and think about like like the beauty of a woman and or in your case a man <laughs> um like being able to like sit and, and recognize the beauty of it and it's not and and eventually your your ideas of of using that or averting from that will like go away because the beauty will just take hold of every every desire so maybe that's a question i think at least perhaps for guys are recognition of beauty of the dignity um of the fairer sex is always typically <laughs> visual or at least that's the, like the impetus is the is is the, the physical beauty and then that lends us deeper into the actual dignity of a woman mm-hmm. is that similar um from your perspective as a woman or is it like emotional or what Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Put it through the ringer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can be kind of vulnerable. Um, I don't know for me personally, as it's so much um, sight um, as it is definitely the the emotional part of it, but also just the the physical part of it, the longing to be held. Um, to uh, 
just experience what it is to like just be wrapped tenderly in another's arms um and just really like learning to open that longing up to christ and i think that's where the eucharist comes in as i mentioned earlier um i uh, there's a a book by fulton sheen um uh don't know the title now that's what i always do but that's anyway quote <laughs> <laughs> um he but he talks about that same idea of wanting to just like not even have the desires to begin with sometimes i think it often we often encounter this in our own life when we like someone or when we're attracted to someone who's maybe not attracted to us back there's almost this anger with the lord of why do i even have to experience this if you're not going to fulfill it but that longing in and of itself um, is an opportunity to love as God loves, that there's nothing inherently wrong with the attraction. Um, it's just learning to rightly orient it for the good of the other. But um, Fulton Sheen talked about um, St. Joseph in this book and how I think so often some of our like puritanical thoughts about those desires come from just poor artwork and things. Uh, St. Joseph was always portrayed as an old man. And I think most of us would rather like that he was a young man to be a protector of Mary. But in this book, he says, um, to make Joseph out as old portrays for us a man who had little vital energy left rather than one who having it kept it in chains for God's sake and for his holy purposes. To make Joseph appear pure only because his flesh had aged is like glorifying a mountain stream that has dried. The church will not ordain a man to a, his priesthood who has not his vital powers. She wants men who has something to tame rather than those are tame because they have no energy to be wild. Joseph was probably a young, strong, virile, athletic, handsome, chaste, and disciplined man. The kind of man that one sees sometimes shepherding sheep or piloting a plane or working at a carpenter's bench. Instead of being a man incapable of loving, he must have been on fire with love. Yeah. <laughs> Props to Fulton. Oh my gosh. But that's um, when you are acting out of that place of stoicism that you can never truly be the protector and the defender and the the one who rescues Rapunzel from the tower you can't you can't do that if you're stoically shoving down these desires just as woman cannot be truly receptive or truly a mother or truly capable of really being a wife unless she is in touch with those desires of her heart Okay, so what would you say to um, a woman who has been broken time and time again and doesn't see herself? I guess she's searching for uh, the recognition of others' gaze. Like pe she wants to be seen, so she dresses immodestly. Mm -hmm. So she's searching for validation in all the wrong ways. I'd also like to, to on top of that, like for those women who like to find their value in the attention of men. I think that it kind of touches on the same thing, but like also, even if they're not dressing immodestly, like feeling like 
the only way that they have value is if they're if they have that embrace of like a boyfriend or something like that like speak on that a little bit I think the first thing that I would do is just um, embrace this woman and acknowledge the the suffering of feeling alone. Um, it's really a I've noticed in my life that it's when you're allowed to walk with someone um, in the suffering in their life that that is very sacred and holy ground. And so I think I would just first of all sit with her there. Um, but what I would say is that. There is a man who is passionately, romantically in love with you, and he does love you. It's not a relationship where it's based upon uh, use or pleasure, um, that he is ultimately just longing to fulfill the deepest longings of your heart. Um, I think that's a truth that, that we sometimes forget about, that we think that we believe the lie that that the Lord is not going to fulfill the desires of my heart, so I have to take it into my own hands um, to see that my needs are met. But that's not the truth of who God is. You know, time and again, He shows us that the only thing He wants to do is to just be one with us, to just love us. And so I think that's um, that's where I would just invite um, all women to just really truly come to encounter. Christ the bridegroom, to bring the longings um, to him to be seen and to be known and to be loved and to allow him into those places to fulfill. I think that's so good and so beautiful. Um, I have a thought, though, like, it's so awesome that you can say that to a woman, Mm -hmm. but I'm guessing it doesn't have the same punch when it's told to a guy like like the like the woman gets to have the incarnate man like he loves you and 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 that kind of thing which is all the all the same truth could be said mm-hmm. for a guy but we don't have that i mean we do we have mary but like we're not oriented as much towards the rest of yeah, receiving is that it yeah is that so. the word reciprocity. reciprocity yeah we have a really hard time receiving love i think so yes. did, yeah go ahead go ahead Okay. So, so like for the woman, Jesus is that fulfillment of the, like the provider. But maybe for the man, it's the pinnacle and the example of the of us providing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's I, like the what's like the parallel? I definitely think you're you're hitting something there because I think that the like the sum of of woman could be um, be it done unto me according to your word, but the sum of man is this is my body given up for you, and. There's definitely a, um, like there's a complementarity with my relationship with the Lord, whereas it's more like a sisterly, motherly relationship um, with, with Mary. For men, it's, it's reversed, that your complementarity is with Mary and your um, brotherly, fatherly, but also in some mysterious way, bridegroom relationship with Christ. Um, that kind of goes back to earlier what I said about like woman is the archetype of humanity, that it's through her that man sees the the call to be receptive to God the Father. Um, but I definitely think that authentic masculinity is is summed up in this is my body given up for you. And so it's in some way, shape, or form fighting for and protecting the woman 
fighting for and protecting Mary and really finding um, your fulfillment in that. Or rescuing Rapunzel from a tower. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's that's spot on. I have so many thoughts. I don't know how to formulate them into one Mm -hmm. question. (laughs) Do you guys have anything? Well, yeah, no, I just kind of like thinking about the way that our bodies are. And um, like you said, there is like that mysterious way that men are still the bride of the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. And I think it is uh, somewhat of a call to receive the Lord in -hmm. ways that we have a hard time doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I think that being able to receive the calls and obey God's desire for your life and how he wants you to give up your body for a woman or the church. Um, Like being able to receive that and submit to that maybe would be our reciprocity Mm -hmm. because a guy wants to do what a guy wants to do and it's just going to lead him down the path of destruction if he doesn't let the Lord be the one who's guiding him on that path Mm -hmm. and submit to what God wants from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and most likely it's going to be sacrifice or giving up your life or not doing what you want to do. Yeah. Which I think is another place where um, like authentic femininity comes into play because it's through the woman that man realizes that it takes um, blood uh, to bear forth new life. That every single month, you know, the woman the woman bleeds and she suffers, um, and it's this this sign knitted right into her into her body that in order for new life to be brought forth, it takes sacrifice. Um, there's another quote I'll share about St. Joseph quick. That's one of my favorites that maybe you men can kind of relate to a little bit. All right, it's cool. Um, <laughs> but this is by Blessed William Joseph something. I can't pronounce his last name, so look it up later. But it goes like this. To give life to someone is the greatest of all gifts. To save a life is the next. Who gave life to Jesus? It was Mary. Who saved his life? It was Joseph. Ask St. Paul who persecuted him, St. Peter who denied him. Ask all the saints who put him to death, but if we asked who saved his life, be silent, patriarchs, be silent, prophets, be silent, apostles, confessors, and martyrs. Let St. Joseph speak, for this honor is his alone. He alone is Savior of his Savior." Whoa! <laughs> Imagine that being like. First off, you have this beautiful woman as your wife, and then you find out that she is pregnant with the Lord, and the Lord is calling you to protect to him. protect him. Yeah, like not only is he going to be like your adopted son that you get to raise, like he is sub- humbly submitting himself to your fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Talk about pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like there's like a, there's gotta be like a call of peace in that too. Like, do, do you know when you, when you feel like something is like 
a worthy cause and so you just like you have no fear and you feel mm-hmm. like prepared and ready yeah. to do that like i can imagine that the lord would give him the graces to feel that too yeah this kind of goes back to our vocations talk we were saying like lord just tell us what you want us to do and we'll go do it like it was so clear for saint joseph this is what you have to do go do it well and i think it was clear because of the way that he was likely raised in that time like he was there to serve the woman mm-hmm. serve our mother and then he it's this opportunity this is the i mean not opportunity this is like his plan for him is to be the father of christ were you gonna say something we both took breaths at the same time <laughs> Um, I think that it's it's also like at the very heart and root of that is your call as masculinity is to be savior of the savior, to be the protector and the defender of all that is good and true and beautiful. And at the very heart and root of that woman herself. And I think that you that men do that um, by engaging in those battles. Um, oftentimes they're but they're battles in your own heart, you know, with the, the enemy of lust or pride, um, or um, not true courage. The greatest of the virtues. When you think about it too, like that's why Christ has like the, you know, the papacy and all the order of bishops is they are men fathers who are called to protect the bride mm-hmm. and to give up their body with Christ for her that is why women are not priests because mm-hmm. that would be that would be a blasphemy and a lie for them to say this is my body given up for you because it's not it's not not the way that they're oriented mm-hmm. to, to give right and in like the early church it was quite literal being a bishop or even the pope was like a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be very appropriate to have women in those roles. I mean, those, those men, those early martyrs would gladly stand as bishop of, a, of an area and, and die for Jesus. And we have that same call too. Like we are called to protect the church and protect what she teaches, protect the truth. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, I mean, for me at least, and, for the guys i'm sure it's it feels like empowering i guess <laughs> yeah it gives us a mission that we desperately want <laughs> exactly it yeah. gives us a, a reason like we're fighting for this church we're not just fighting senseless culture battles we're fighting for the church for mm-hmm. the bride of christ you know yeah i talked about it in it might have been the femininity episode but probably it was, like that, was probably yeah it's like that <laughs> recognition of the submission or the desire uh, to be held or like that seeing that damsel or the church in need of defending mm-hmm. fills men with such conviction like if there's a cause great enough which it is then there's no there's no fear entering the entering the battle and god gives you like the graces you need to yeah to fulfill mm-hmm. those things too yeah i think that's an important part is recognition that this courage that we feel this strength that we feel isn't actually our own it's coming from the grace of God, and it's through Him that we are protecting yeah. the church. And that's maybe that's where the reciprocity comes in again. Very much so. We're receiving the goodness of God because 
he's the source of all goodness. He's, we're receiving that to be used to spread and grow and protect his church. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, JP2 said that man can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. Pray for us. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, this has been sure, awesome. This has been, this has been a great episode, for sure. Yeah. Both times. Both times. Both times. <laughs> yes. Sincerest apologies <laughs> like to I our said. most gracious host. Or Thank guest. you for listening to me twice. <laughs> yes, it got better every time. <laughs> the second time around it was even better. Yeah, I think. Agreed. So, yeah. So, Grace, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I think your love for Jesus and love of this topic in particular definitely comes through just like watching you talk but also even our listeners will be able to tell um this is someone who knows the truth and loves it and wants to share it so we appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us um we appreciate all listeners and yeah send in your mailbag questions if you have anything you want to know more about theology of the body or any of the other topics that we talk about um Thank why almond for, milk isn't real yeah milk. why <laughs> almond milk isn't real not only about, isn't real it's an abomination it's an abomination it's that's, that's right, right. it is right. clearly hopefully Tell that makes it into the beautiful. cut <laughs> <laughs> yeah any dairy questions we'll just send we'll just send <laughs> or non-dairy in that case <laughs> that's, true, that's true so yes thank you all for listening and have a blessed day